0: Let's open our Bibles to the book of Malachi. We're in the fourth chapter, which is only a very short chapter. It just has six verses. But I thought for tonight to make it a full and complete lesson, and we wouldn't have time to introduce another book and get into it, that I would like to make sure that we've gotten all of this book, because I think I can summarize the fourth chapter in about the last 10 or 15 minutes, surely, of the the lesson. But what I'd like to do is give you a review of the whole book, And then summarize with the fourth chapter and bring you up to date there. If you'll bear with me, I'd like for just to turn back and briefly look at some of the things that we found here in the book of Malachi. Now, of course, in the first chapter, we'll look back to that for review, and then we'll get into the uh, lesson when we get to the fourth chapter after we've reviewed some. If you'll look at the name Malachi, the prophet here, the last of the... Uh, minor prophets and the last prophet of the Old Testament. They say there was about 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and the New Testament or when Jesus came. About 400 years of silence when there was no prophet or any word from God. But anyway, Malachi means my messenger or the messenger of Jehovah. That's the meaning of his name. And it's peculiar that his name would uh, announce the messenger of of the Lord that was a forerunner of Christ and also announced the messenger Christ himself who would be the real messenger the messenger that would be the forerunner John the Baptist was referred to and then Jesus Christ the messenger the one that would really come and uh, so it's very wonderful that he would be uh, in harmony his message would be in harmony with his name you find that in a lot of cases in the Old Testament and giving you the review of this book as briefly as possible and yet not to skip anything in the first chapter verses 1 through 6, 1 through 5 rather verses 1 through 5 you have Jehovah's love for his people and it shows us in verse 2 he says i have loved you saith the lord yet ye say wherein hast thou loved us you know they questioned god's love and god had declared that he loved them and you know even after all the experiences of israel throughout the old testament how is it that they could say, Wherein hast thou loved us? That's kind of like people today, isn't it? God tells us He loves us, and He gave his, uh, manifested His love toward us in that He gave Christ to die for us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that God commendeth, I believe it's verse 8, God commendeth His love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. If you go back and find I'll just try to give you at least one reference along these points as we discuss them coming through the book of Malachi as briefly as possible. But if you look back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15, it says this concerning God's love for Israel. Only the Lord hath a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. And then Deuteronomy chapter 33 Verse 3 says this, Moses, in summarizing that love, he says, Yea, he loved the people, and all his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at thy feet, every one shall receive of thy words. So Moses summarizing the love of God for Israel there before he uh, was taken on. So these first five verses uh, deal with Jehovah's love for his people. And then in the uh, second section... You have it covers verses 6 of the first chapter through chapter 2, verse 9. That's the second section of this. We're dividing it into six parts. And the second section begins here with verse 6 of the first chapter. It goes through chapter 2, verse 9. And it's the rebuke of the priest. And actually, even though the priests are rebuked, it's really for all the people because like a priest, like people. And we find that he begins here. He doesn't name the priest in this very first verse, or the sixth verse of this first, first part of this division that we're talking about. He doesn't uh, name the priest here, but if you'll notice in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. So in this second division, you have the rebuke of the priests. They were rebuked for offering polluted offerings giving the lame, look in verse, one, or verse 6 of the first chapter. rather, It says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I th- then be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priest that despise my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Now, the priests are named in the, in the sixth verse, aren't they? I didn't see that when I was looking at the beginning of it. It says, O priest. That despised my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Then on down, he tells them in verse 7, You have offered polluted bread upon mine altar. And then on down, you offer the blind, verse 8, for sacrifice. Is it not evil? And he says, If you offer the lame, that's verse 8, If you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person? It seems they were giving God the very worst of everything. And he says, God says now if if you think that I would accept that, try offering it that to your governor and see what he would do with it. He wouldn't take the poor and the lame and the sick, the blind. We wouldn't offer to the heads of state or the people in charge of our state or city or nation, that which is polluted and not worth anything. He would not they would not accept it. And that's exactly what these priests were trying to do. Look in verse uh, 14, it says, But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male, and vows, and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. He says, For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen." He was king over all the earth, and even his name was dreadful among the heathen nations. And so offer to him a male of the flock that's a corrupt thing. That's sick, or afflicted, or has blemish, and that's what he's talking about. In chapter 2, verse 1, and it goes on through through verse 9, he goes on and rebukes the priests. In chapter 2, verse 1, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not lay it to heart, they wouldn't take what God was saying to heart. Remember all the questions they brought up as to what they had done wrong? In other words, Wherewith have we done, uh, have we despised thy name? Verse 6. And they say, wherein have we polluted thee? Verse 7. Right on down. And they just go ahead and question the Lord's dealings with them. Look in verse 14. He says he's a great king. Then chapter 2, verse 1. And now, O you priests, in chapter 2, verse 2, if you will not hear, if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, God says, if you don't, I will curse you. And he he says, I've already cursed your blessings, in verse 2. In verse 3, he says, I will corrupt your seed. And on down in verse 7, he says, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priest had failed. He says in verse 8 now, look, chapter 2, verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. They had not kept the law. They had not kept knowledge. They had not dispensed the law. In verse 9, "...therefore have also made you contemptible and base before all the people according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law." So you see what they were doing. Now then, the third section of this book of Malachi begins with chapter 2 and verse 10. And it goes through verse 16. Just a short section here. And this is a rebuke of the social conditions. Now, you still have this in mind. We've taught it before, but I want to to make sure you've gotten a kind of a grasp of all of these things. First, the love of God. Second, the rebuke of the priests. And then thirdly, this rebuke of the social conditions. And what was the rebuke here? These people had gone out and married strange wives, taken strange wives, wives of the heathen round about them. Married the daughter of a strange God. Look at verse 11. Hath married the daughter of a strange God. Let's begin to read it and get it real quickly. It says in verse 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel. Now, both the whole nation, because Judah and Israel, they were divided. Judah, the two kingdoms, and Israel, the ten kingdoms, ten tribes. And it was divided after Solomon's death His two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, that's when the kingdom was divided. And as a result, there was what they called Judah and Israel. In fact, if you'll notice uh, Amos, when we studied Amos, he says, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And he deals with Judah. And then Amos says again, For three transgressions of Israel, so he deals with them separately, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. So here it says, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. And it says, The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears and with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regarded not... Uh, the offering any more, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? In other words, say, Why? What's all this about? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth. They had put away the wife of their youth, the one that they had married, because by now she had grown older. And they had gone out and taken to them the wives of strange gods of heathen nations, the same as in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, And they had corrupted these things in the sight of God. In other words, they were putting away wives and bearing wives outside of the nation of Israel and of Judah and committing this kind of corruption in the sight of God. In other words, the rate of divorce was real high. This was the social conditions that we're talking about. And when we find in a nation, and even our nation, it's been so for many years. It seems to be getting worse all the time. When the rate of divorce is on the increase, the nation is headed downward because that's the basic, that's the basis, the foundation of of a nation, is the moral condition, the social conditions that exist in that nation. And I think that we need to come back to the old uh, way of doing and the people marrying for keeps. They got trial marriages today. They got all these kind of other things that take place. When I got married, I n- never had any intention. You know, a lot, a lot of these uh, younger ones say, well, if we can make it, we'll, it'll be all right. We'll try it a while. When I got married, I figured, well, this is for keeps. And most of us did. We had no other idea in mind. That was the way it's supposed to be. We were not going to try to make it, we were going to make it, regardless. We said, this is the way it'll have to be. We'll do the best we can. And our pledge was in richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. But anyway, these were putting away wives. Jesus spoke against that. And he said, let me give you this. In the book of Matthew chapter 19, it says in verse 8, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And he tells us, Exception for putting away. He says, Now I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be, there's one exception, for fornication shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. That's what Jesus said. Now let's get back to this. Uh, chapter 2 of Malachi, in verse 15. And did, he not, did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, God could have made more than one woman for one man. He reserved the right to do that, but he didn't. He just made one. And it says, And wherefore, one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. That's what they were doing. And it says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he he hateth putting away. He hateth putting away. Now then, this next section, the fourth division, that's the social conditions, the fourth division Deals with the announcement of the messenger and the day of the Lord, and it begins with the third chapter, verses one through six. Actually it includes this last verse of the second chapter. You could attach this last verse to this to the chapter we're about to study, to the third chapter. You know chapter and verse divisions were this was a thing that came along, I believe it was the twelfth century. We didn't even have any chapter divisions until about then. And then I believe it was two or three hundred years later before we had the verse divisions, like the 15th. Now, I may be wrong in round numbers there, but it was along about that time. I used to know it all pretty well, but you forget over time. But it it was quite a span, two or three hundred years, that divided the chapter divisions from the verse divisions. Then they came in with the verse division. Sometimes the verse division was not uh, so good because that could have very well gone with the next chapter. could have been in a very uh, inconvenient place. And if you'll notice this 17th verse, he says, Ye have worried the Lord with your words. Look in the 2nd chapter, verse 17. Ye have worried the Lord with your words. Yea, yet ye say, Wherein have we worried Him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil... Is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them, or where is the God of judgment? Now then, the reason I say this belongs to the next chapter, it goes on to tell that, uh, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord. But who uh, shall "...who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth, for he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap." So you find that he's going to show that he is the God of judgment. And this last verse of the second chapter tells us about that. Now getting into the third quickly, I want you to notice this. Verses 1 through 6 announce the messenger and the day of the Lord, because the messenger, first of all, is John the Baptist who will prepare the way for the Lord, for the messenger of the Lord. I should say the forerunner of the messenger of the Lord is John the Baptist. Let me put it that way. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you shall seek shall suddenly come in his temple, the messenger of the covenant. So really there's two messengers. The one that will prepare the way before the Lord, who is the messenger of the covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know after studying the New Testament, and we've given you this before, we gave you several places, Matthew 11.10, Mark 1, 1.2, Luke one seventy six, Luke 1.17, how it shows you that John the Baptist was that one to come prepare the way of the Lord. But we said it was an announcement. This section announces not only the messenger of the Lord, but the day of the Lord, because the full coming of Christ in judgment To purify that he will in the future, as you find in verse 3, is yet to come. And that is in the day of the Lord. Now look very carefully at this verse. If you notice verse 3, it says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the uh, days of old as in the former years. You see what's going to happen? What did happen? Let's put it this way. John the Baptist did come, was the forerunner of Christ. And he announced Christ's coming. Christ came on the scene. But all of this prophecy of Malachi was not completely fulfilled at that first coming. But when he will come the second time, he will sit as a refiner and purify of silver. And then... There's when, in verse uh, 5, it says, And I will come near to you in judgment. You see that? And so this is yet future, all this that is to come. And you could read all of verse 5 and see what's going to happen. Now then, so we might say that this section announces the messenger, the announcement of the messenger and of the day of the Lord. Now, if you'll drop on down to verse uh, 7. And verses 7... Through 15, you have the rebuke for defrauding the Lord. Rebuke for defrauding the Lord. And you're well familiar with that passage of Scripture. Verse 7 says, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances. God had given Israel ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you. And here they come back again. Wherein shall we return? They still couldn't understand what wrong had been done. And he says, Will a man rob God? And it says, Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. He says, You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. He tells them, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Prove me now herewith, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And we gave you all of this previously. Not only for the nation of Israel of old would God bring a blessing upon them, but if you'll notice, verse 12 says, And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. In the future, when they begin to obey God, when the Lord comes again, and when Israel begins in strict obedience, you know, the Bible says they shall look on him whom they have pierced. There is going to be a fruitfulness in the land. When Jesus comes again, and in the millennium, you read it in the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation, we'll get into a little bit of it when we get into the fourth chapter momentarily, but anyway, then's when they will be that delightsome land that's spoken of. One verse very important, verse 16, when you get down to that, verse 16, it says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. This begins the last section. Because we, we read on down through verse 18 in our last lesson. Since it was incomplete, we stopped at the beginning of chapter 4. So if we look at verse 16, that's the beginning of this whole last section, including chapter 4. And it's the remnant and the concluding prophecy. And so beginning with verse 16, we find something very important. And these last three verses we've already read and studied last week, but I'll just rehearse them for you again, and then we'll... Take up the fourth chapter and bring you on down. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. You see, there were some of them that didn't go along with all this that was going on in Israel then. There were some of them that were not defrauding God. There were some of them, there was a remnant that did not uh, fall in these social conditions and take strange wives and put away their wives of their youth. There were some of them that were different than priests and people ordinarily, and then the bulk of, of the nation and the people, just like there's a few today. But let's get back to that. In that day there was a remnant that spake off one to another, that feared the Lord. And it says, And the Lord, the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. What did they do in that day? They came together they feared the Lord, first of all, and they spake off one to another. It means that must, they must have been together to speak one to another, right? They assembled together. And they hearkened. The Lord hearkened. Evidently, if the Lord hearkened, they were praying to Him and asking Him to help them. God heard them speaking, not only to each other, but to Him, and heard it in a book of remembrance, and so on. Now in verse 17, "...and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day, when I shall make up my jewels, my peculiar treasure actually, my special treasure, jewels not in the sense of stones, precious stones, in this sense it's not taken that way. I know that it says that in the in our version of the Bible, but if you have a marginal reference, it would be more properly spoken of as a special treasure. That God's people will not be like uh, pearls or... Uh, jewels of gold or silver, but actually his special peculiar treasure in that day when he makes up his treasure. And I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Let's stop there just a moment. All right? In the days of Malachi, when he was prophesying concerning Israel, rebuking them for their inconsistency, rebuking them for many of them for their hypocrisy, rebuking them for their failing to uh, give God what was due unto him, rebuking them for the social conditions that existed. There was a remnant that did not go along with the, the multitude, with the crowd. And even in the days of Jesus, you'll find that there were still a few people that did not go along with the bulk of Judaism, right? Remember when Jesus was born, and when, he, when they took him into the temple, what happened? There was old Anna and Simeon, Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel, and the, Zacharias, even when he prophesied, and was filling his office of uh, in the priesthood, and he prophesied of the of of Christ and the forerunner of Christ, of John the Baptist, that would be the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist, his own son, Elizabeth would have a son by Zacharias. Remember, and. Uh, He's prophesied of the things. So he was one of those of the godly remnant, even in the days of Jesus. Zacharias and Elizabeth and, and Anna and uh, uh, Simeon. What about the shepherds that were ready when the announcement of the birth of Christ was made? I believe they were part of that few that were really trying to be true to the Lord and really uh, wanting to serve God and that talk, spake often one another. We know that there was a remnant in that day. What about in Christ- Christendom today? I believe there's a few today that still want to fear God and want to serve God and speak often one to another, talk about the things of God and look forward to Christ coming. Want to want to live a Christian life. The bulk of society does not want to do that, but there's still a few that want to do that very thing. So God has never left himself without a few that will be followers of, of himself and to do his will. It says in verse 18, look at it, Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth them not. Then shall you return. Now then, look at chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. Now then, Malachi is beginning to announce a future day. A day that shall burn as an oven, a day of judgment is coming. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, when the Lord comes again in judgment, and this is a prophecy of the future time, someone applies this to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., well, that may be so that the nation did at that time. They were judged by the Roman nation, but on the, by Rome. But on the other hand, that's not completely fulfilled as far as we're concerned because the, the Bible teaches that there's a future day of judgment, even for Israel. The Bible speaks of the time of Jacob's trouble in prophecy in the Old Testament. Many things that were not fulfilled then. We uh, studied the last book. In fact, the book of Zechariah. You'll find that there were things in 70 A.D. And let me read from Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now, when you read Zechariah 14, verse 1, the prophet there says that all nations will be gathered. To, Against Jerusalem to battle. Well, in 70 AD under Titus, there was just one nation gathered against Jerusalem, wasn't it? And all nations were not gathered against Jerusalem. So the Lord did not then go forth and fight for them as He's promised. Listen, it says in the rest of this, it says in verse 3, Zechariah 14, verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. So some people have taken this very same prophecy of Zechariah and applied it to the 70 A.D. destruction of Jerusalem. Well, it was not all nations. The Lord did not go forth and fight for them. In fact, He used the Roman nation to, uh, to be a chastening hand, so to speak, against His people who had rejected Him. And Jesus foretold of that destruction, of that temple and of, and of the city that would soon come. He foretold of that. So we see that what I'm trying to get over is this, that, all, that these prophecies could not have really found their final fulfillment in that destruction in 70 AD. But they yet look to a future time. So back to Malachi chapter 4. We're going to see some more things here. Let's look at it quickly. Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. For behold, the day cometh. That's a future day. Uh, Zechariah says it's the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is the day of the Lord's coming in judgment. All through the Old Testament you'll find that the day of the Lord is different from man's day. This is man's day. This is the day and age of grace. But the day of the Lord is spoken of. Uh, Joel says it's a, great, it's a terrible day, it's a day of darkness and of wrath and of gloominess. It's a day of judgment, of thick darkness, the day of the Lord. Well. We're certainly not come, talking about the Lord coming for his saints, because that's not going to be a day of gloominess, at least for his saints. But it's coming after he takes his saints on to be up, uh, up to be with him. It's coming after when he comes back to this earth in judgment. And Zechariah says he's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and the mount shall cleave in the midst. We read that. That's Zechariah 14. Malachi is prophesying of the same day, it's a day of judgment. It will be a day of burning. Now let's look at this, Malachi 4, verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, God's going to judge the wicked, Christ is going to judge the wicked that is coming, shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. There comes the judgment, doesn't it? Now look in verse 2, But unto you that fear my name, and he's speaking basically here to Israel. To you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, when Christ comes in judgment and this great burning and judgment takes place, Israel will trod them under feet, under foot they shall be ashes under the soles of their feet. Now, there's never been a day that that's true in Christendom, that the wicked have become the ashes under our feet. So he's not talking about uh, the church age here. He's talking about in the tribulation, at the end of it, when Christ comes and that day of judgment comes upon the nations that are still existing and fighting against Jerusalem, when the final outcome is... is, uh, is said to be brought to pass, as far as Israel is concerned. The 20th chapter of Revelation tells us that he's going to take them into the millennium. The 19th chapter is where the Lord comes as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he calls calls all the fowls of the air to come and feast upon the flesh of these that are slain. So it's a future day, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. Now then look at verse 4. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgment. He's telling Israel to remember the law. I want you to see this now. Look back up in verse 2 again. We were talking about Israel, and we were talking about Christ coming as the Son of Righteousness. The Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That's what he's going to do for Israel. Well, then where is the church during this time? What's happened? We're not looking now. You and I are not looking for the Son of righteousness. We're looking for the morning star. That before the sun rises, before Israel receives this coming of the Lord, before the Lord comes for Israel as the Son of righteousness, he's coming as the bright and morning star. Remember in the book of Revelation, let me read it to you. In the last chapter of the book of Revelation. Jesus says this in verse 16, I, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, when is the bright and morning star? That's before the sun rises, isn't it? So the church is going to... The church is... By the way, the bright and morning star, the morning star is a New Testament statement, not an old. And a New Testament subject. Paul says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. He tells us the dead in Christ shall rise. The living believers shall be caught up together with them, that is the risen dead in Christ, to meet the Lord where? In the air. He's not coming and setting his feet upon the Mount of Olives at that time to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Then later on, after the tribulation, seven years go by of great tribulation upon the earth. And then in the 19th chapter of Revelation, He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. So what are we looking for? The Son of Righteousness to arrive with healing in His wings? No, that's what Israel's looking for. You and I are looking for the Lord to give that trumpet sound and shout in heaven, and the resurrection of the dead in Christ take place, and the living believers caught up to be with the Lord. And then when He comes back and the Son of Righteousness arises. That's when he comes in the 19th chapter of Revelation, and we're coming with him. Those that are Christians of this day and age of grace are coming back with the Lord. If you look to the book of Revelation, chapter 19, let me give it to you quickly. Uh, Look in 19 of Revelation. It says in verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and, behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. That's Christ. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now listen. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So he comes upon a white horse. The armies that are in heaven, who are those armies? The ones we've just told you about that are taken up when Christ takes the church, both dead in Christ and living believers, back to heaven, up into the air. And so shall they ever be until he comes back. So shall they ever be with the Lord. But when he comes back, he's coming back with these armies of heaven. And you can go back the previous verses and see that those that are clothed in fine linen are the saints of God. Look in verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints." And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what do you find? You find that the believers of this day and age of grace are taken up with the dead in Christ and the living believers that at the time of Christ's coming for his own. And then they're in heaven, right here in Revelation chapter 19 till you get down to verse 11. They're in heaven with Jesus. And then when heaven opens up and He comes on a white horse and the armies of heaven come with Him, and He tells us in verse 15, And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it He should smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Christ is coming. Verse 16 says, His name is King of kings and Lord of lords. And then you find the judgment coming upon this earth. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye make the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, the beasts of Revelation, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast that's on this earth during the tribulation, the kings of the earth that are allied with the beast, the political head, are going to make war with Christ and with his armies. But they're not going to stand a chance. It says, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he had deceived them that received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with the, their flesh." So that's the judgment. That's when Jesus comes. And then the 20th chapter of Revelation tells you about the martyred saints of the tribulation, verse 4, about all that had part in the first resurrection, even the dead in Christ of this day and age of grace. And it says in verse 5, This is the first resurrection. Blessed, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's when he comes and sets up a reign of righteousness upon this earth. And there shall be a thousand years of peaceful reign, because Christ himself will reign with his people upon this earth. Who? Israel, that will go into that millennium, and all of the resurrected saints and the living saints that are taken up to be with the Lord who come back down with Him when He brings this judgment, they shall also go in with Him when that sun of righteousness arises for Israel. The morning star has already arisen for uh, already been seen by the saints of this day and age of grace. And they all go into that, into that millennium so that we will reign with Israel. Israel will reign. Even the martyred saints of the tribulation are there. Look in verse 4, Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast. You see, the martyred saints of the tribulation are there, which had neither, neither had his image Neither had received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who is it? The martyred saints of the tribulation, Israel goes into the millennium, also the saints that have gone on to be with the Lord and come back with him when he comes in judgment, as King of kings and Lord of Lords. And they all go, we all go to live and reign with Christ. How do we know that the saints of this day and age go? You read Revelation chapter 5, which is representative of all the redeemed. And it says this, let me tell you, in verse 9, and they sung a new song. This is a redeemed in glory. It says, they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now listen, verse 10, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We shall reign when the martyred saints reign. We shall reign when when Israel reigns. We shall reign during that millennium when all go into that millennium. Now then, back in our study in the book of Malachi, it says in verse 5, Behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now then, we, we gave you in our last lesson, I believe, or one before, at least one or two of the lessons here, where that Elijah was, in a sense... John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Let me give you that quickly. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 says this. No, it's not 78, 76. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. Zechariah speaking of John the Baptist. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Now listen. Luke 1, verse 17. And he shall go before him. The same one is in view. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was speaking there of John the Baptist. But look in Malachi quickly. Now our time is getting away, so let me give you this. In Malachi, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now then, though... Though John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was in the spirit and power of Elijah, and Jesus says if you can receive it, Elijah has already come, but Jesus said also, Elias truly shall come first, we find that this Elijah is still to come and do his work preceding the coming of the Lord. He is still to come and do his work. And it says, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now then, what's he talking about? If you read over in the book of Revelation, I believe it's the um, uh, 11th chapter, you'll find the two witnesses that come, and you'll find them doing the things that Moses and Elijah did. Some people want to make Enoch one of these two witnesses, which is all right if that's the way you feel about it. But the the symbolism here is the things that Moses did and the things that Elijah did. and you know, Peter says that we were eyewitnesses of Christ's coming, referring back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says we were eyewitnesses of Christ's coming. And who was, with, who was up there on that mount? Was it, was it Elijah and Enoch or Elijah and Moses? It was Moses and Elijah that spake of Christ's decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem, you see. And if you read the This 11th chapter of Revelation, these two witnesses, verse 3, and I'll just sketch it because I don't have time to read it thoroughly. But verse 6 says, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Who did that? Elijah, didn't he? All right. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Who did that? Moses. And to smite the earth with all plagues. Who did that? Moses. As often as they will. So they are coming. If it does not demand Elijah himself coming, and it does not because John the Baptist was in the spirit and power of Elijah, wasn't it? We've already read that. If it does not demand the actual Elijah and the actual Moses, these two witnesses are certainly at least in the spirit and power of both Elijah and Moses. And so that's why Malachi says that he is to come. And so Elijah is still to come and do his work preceding the coming of the Lord.